Hey, podcast family. Well, you know I couldn't be away for all that long. Yes, I'm still away from the U.S. No, I'm not ignoring my family. I promise. You see, one of the great tips for a successful family vacation is alone time. All right? I mean, I love my family. They love me. I get that. Yada, yada, yada. We can't be with each other 24-7 because somebody will be irritated and annoyed and I'm usually the annoyer. So we always schedule time for alone time. So right now, my wife and two daughters are at the pool. My son is taking a nap and I have carved out time in our away vacation to do an episode. So yes, I am not crazy. No, I'm not missing anything with my family. And yes, I could not wait to get this out to you because when I am away, I still get the alerts when I get Wi-Fi because I'm not paying for service abroad. I'm just not doing it. Even with Travel Pass, I get that. I'm just not doing it. Why can I do that when there's free Wi-Fi and WhatsApp? So anyway, I was at uh, two, two days ago, uh, I was at a little cafe. I was having my cappuccino uh, since we're very close to Italy and Sicily. Oh, good coffee. I'm telling y'all, good coffee. Anyway, and I get an alert. An alert came in and it said, ah, can treatment for BV prevent preterm birth? And so I'm like, I'm all on it. So in this episode, we've got lots to cover, but this isn't even the intro. This is the intro to the intro that, please don't send me ugly messages. Yes, I'm still with my family. Uh, And this actually makes me happy. So we're going to cover, can treatment for BV prevent preterm birth? Let's get into that now. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, we really are in a pickle. And it's not just the U.S. I mean, it's everywhere. Now that the FDA has withdrawn the approval of Makina and all generic forms of 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone strictly for the prevention of preterm birth, well, what do we have left? I mean, it's been a long, hard road since April the 5th, 2023, when the FDA announcement came through. And having the only medication which had been FDA approved for the prevention of preterm birth taken away, well, it's really left us as clinicians investigating any other possible strategy that could put a dent in the preterm birth rate. As BV is the most common vaginal abnormality in reproductive age women, naturally the spotlight fell on treatment of BV for preterm birth prevention. I mean, after all, right? BV is a well-known risk factor for preterm birth. We get that. That's not question at all. 
The question is, is eliminating during pregnancy a successful strategy for preterm birth prevention? And here's the other big clinical pearl right off the bat and in this intro. There's been new advances in the diagnostic tools for vaginal infections. So BV is, of course, back in the hot seat as a possible intervention for preterm birth prevention. And we're going to cover those new diagnostic tools, those new diagnostic strategies that are point of care tests that really have increased the specificity for BV detection. And that's why there's still these studies on BV and preterm birth coming out as recent as this month. I mean, July 17th, we're going to cover that in this episode, because a lot of the new studies are going, well, they'll pass criteria, use AMSELs. Now we've got, you know, newer uh, generation diagnostic tests based on the molecular level. Uh, And so those tests were flawed. Now we're going to check it again. And that's good. I mean, it's good to add to the body of data. And now we've got the old clinical data that and the clinical studies that use AMSL's criteria. Then we had DNA probe tests, like the Affirm test. We're going to discuss all of these in a minute. And now we've got the newer advanced molecular panels that can really uh, increase the specificity of BV being looked at. And, and so the question is, if we use these better tests and we really hone down the diagnosis of BV, then we treat it. Can that make a dent in preterm birth rate? That's the question. Well, I know we've covered BV treatment and preterm birth in the past, and the general question has been, well, can it help prevent preterm birth? And the answer has been not really, but those were based on previous tests. So we're going to cover all of this and specifically two recent publications. One is from May of 2023, and the other one just came out literally like two days ago on July the 17th, 2023, that are going to help to answer that very question, which is, can treatment of BV using better diagnostic tools, can it help prevent preterm birth? Well, let's talk about that now. The whole 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone thing is still making headlines and is still coming out in print. I mean, just in Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Green Journal, from July the 13th, 2023, and to give you reference, we're, we're taping this, I'm taping this, on July the 19th, so less than a week ago, the Green Journal put out a new kind of summary review of what, where do we stand, okay? What are we talking about right now? titled Reassessing Preterm Birth Prevention After the Withdrawal of 17-Alpha-Hydroxyprogesterone Caproate, end quote. So this thing is still in press, okay? It's still in the news. And, and that's why this has gotten a lot of attention because now that that medication is gone, what else can we do? And before I get into the BV issue, let me just quickly, I want to just summarize some of the key points here on, on the use of vaginal progesterone for preterm birth prevention. I know we have a podcast on that. We did that around April, but the short of it is, just as a recap, remember 70-hydroxyprogesterone, IM and its generic forms is XNA. It's not around. Don't do it like immediate cyst and desist. It's done. But what about vaginal progesterone? Well, it's very easy, okay? For those without a history of preterm birth, but are found to have an incidental short cervix defined as 25 millimeters or less, then ACOG says, hey, it can't hurt. Uh, Who knows if it really does help? Uh, But because it can't hurt, go ahead and use 
uh, vaginal progesterone in those cases. And it's the exact same rule for those with a history of preterm birth who have the incidentally small cervix defined as less than 25 millimeters. Now, for those women, uh, there's an extra caveat, which is historically, you know, cerclage would have been used. That's in the previous guidelines from the college. But newer data has stated that vaginal progesterone works just as well as a cerclage in history in those with the history of preterm birth. So they have a choice, okay? So with no previous history of preterm labor and an incidentally found short cervix, vaginal progesterone is great. And if they do have a history, then you can be offered either vaginal progesterone or the cerclage. And obviously, since the cerclage is more invasive and has risks, why not try vaginal progesterone? Fine. That's in the Kent Hayborn review of reassessing preterm birth prevention after the withdrawal of 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone from July 13, 2023 from the Green Journal. Okay, now that we've covered the progesterone part, because we can't talk about preterm birth prevention without talking about the death of 17-hydroxyprogesterone and the possible use of vaginal progesterone in patients with a cervix of 25 millimeters or less. Fine. But now we've come back to this whole issue of BV. And, and the reason BV has gotten the attention, as we said in the intro, uh, is, is two main reasons. One, we know that it, it's a messed up vaginal ecosystem and BV has already been linked. It's absolutely true to choreo, subclinical uh, intramiotic infection, preterm birth, and preterm pre rupture of membranes. Uh, I'm sorry, preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes. We get that. It, that that's not a question. Uh, the question is, can, can treatment of it uh, help reverse that trend of preterm birth? And yes, it's true. We've had podcasts on that in the past, and the short answer is no, it doesn't seem to. But to be fair to the literature, because that's what we do here at Clinical Pearls, even when we're in the Mediterranean, thank you very much, uh, it lets you know what the new data is. I want to cover two main publications, all right? One was an EPUB from March 2023 that went out officially in print in May 2023, which is a systematic review and individual participant meta, uh, d- data meta-analysis that was published in uh, Pediatric Perinatal Epidemiology. Now, it's interesting that that ended up in a pediatric journal, but of course, it's somewhat fitting because preterm birth and neonatology so lives in that house. So yes, it's fitting for that as well. It doesn't have to live just in OB. Uh, and that uh, publication was by Mark A. Klebanoff. Okay. And of course, we'll post this at some point when I do the reference list. Maybe I'll wait to, to do that when I get home back in the U.S. But the title of this publication from uh, March 2023 as an EPUB and then May 2023 as an official publication is, quote, Antibiotic Treatment of Bacterial Vaginosis to Prevent Preterm Delivery, Systematic Review, and Individual Participant Data Meta-Analysis, end quote. Okay, now before I cover this systematic review and meta-analysis, I have to clarify and really state why these systematic reviews are so important with something like this. Because there are a lot of different ways to diagnose BV, right? I mean, there's AMSOL's criteria, which is what we all use uh, at bedside if you're doing a wet prep which is three of the four criteria. We all get that. Remember that? That's the thin gray-white discharge. Next is the malodorous fissy discharge, uh, especially with KOH. Uh, the, the WIF test. Third, of course, is a high pH greater than 4.5. And then the fourth is clue cells. Three of those four diagnose uh, BV clinically at the bedside. And then they went to separate point of care tests, like the BD Affirm test or the VP3 test. That's a DNA probe test. So it is a molecular test because it's using DNA probe technology, but it doesn't really tell you 
uh, anything else except if Gardnerella vaginalis is there. So it's got great sensitivity, but poor specificity because when it looks for BV, it's looking for one bacteria that it is a usual culprit, but not the only one. Remember that BV is a constellation of overgrowth of a lot of anaerobic bacteria, of which Gardnerella vaginosis, uh, vaginalis trans- tends to be the most common also in the presence of decreased lactobacilli, all right? So it, it didn't really tell you anything about the lactobacilli population. It just looked for a trick. It looked for a candida albicans, and it looked for a Gardnerella. That was the VP affirm or the VP3 test. Still very good. But now we have molecular tests, okay? So these molecular tests are able to really give you more idea of the vaginal microbiome, like the BD Max vaginitis panel. By the way, I'm mentioning brand names. They are not a sponsor. And I have to say that not a sponsor because um, this, is, this really isn't giving them any kind of kudos or anything. I'm just letting you know what's out there. So we use, uh, and then we've moved on from the BD uh, VP3 affirm test to this one, uh, the BD Max, because it, it provides much more of a holistic view. And I do have to be very clear. I mean, I don't want to sound infomercially because that's not the goal at all. And again, BD Max is not a sponsor, but I like what this test does. It uses PCRs with an assay. It is a molecular test, and it still detects the three common causes of vaginitis, right? BV, vulvovaginal candidiasis, and TRIC. But look how this is different than the VP3 Affirm. And by the way, I haven't lost a view of what we're talking about. I know we're covering BV, but this is related to it because this is why systematic reviews are important because you have to kind of lump them all together into one big washing machine because that's the only way you can figure out what the endpoint data really is worth because some tests use the Affirm test, some tests use AMSL, some use uh, Nugent's criteria. And this is why this is important. One of the studies that we're going to talk about here that just came out on July the 17th used the molecular panel. So when you read a study on BV and preterm birth, you have to look at what exactly was the diagnostic methods that they used to make that diagnosis, okay? So, oh, was it a Nugent's criteria? Was it AMSOs? Was it the DNA probe? Was it a full molecular panel? Because that actually does matter. It seems to be, as of right now, that the most sensitive and the most specific is this new molecular assay because it doesn't just check for Gardnerella. It checks also for lactobacilli. And so decreased lactobacilli plus increased Gardnerella can increase the specificity over natural flora of having bacterial vaginosis. All right. So that's pretty nice because, and it's not just my opinion. I mean, there is actual data for this. This was published in 2020 in the European Journal of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Disease. And that journal has a long name. The European Journal of Clinical Microbiological Infectious Diseases. Wow. All right. Well, that looked at the VP Max test compared to uh, the regular Affirm VP3 and showed, look, they're both super sensitive. There's no difference there. But the specificity for BV was much better. And according to this 2020 publication, stated, quote, the detection of Gardnerella vaginalis alone in Affirm compared to the algorithmic detection of a combination of markers in the MAX-VP assay helped to increase the specificity of this test. It goes on to say, quote, the inclusion of lactobacilli species as an indicator of normal flora 
and the presence of Gardnerella vaginalis, A. vaginae, and Megaspheria, and the other biological biomarkers of BV help increase the specificity for the detection of bacterial vaginosis, end quote. All to say, it's not just looking for Gardnerella like the Affirm test. It kind of looks more at the microbiome, uh, and that's why we've switched over. It's a much more uh, complete test. And so that's why these new studies are coming out. Hey, is there a way with using these new technologies that we can be really sure it's BV and not just calling it based on a web prep, but we know that's definitely the microbiome is messed up because the molecular test said so. Therefore, if we can treat that, that should make a difference in preterm birth rate, right? Well, that's the premise. That's the hypothesis. And even though we thought that we had settled this question like a decade ago, because everybody kind of was comfortable with the data that treatment of BV doesn't prevent preterm birth. Now, it doesn't mean you don't treat BV in pregnancy. I mean, even the CDC says, hey, if she's symptomatic and it's bothering her, you got to treat that because copious vaginal discharge is an irritant to the external vulva and that predisposes to other infections. Plus, persistent BV can increase the rate of STI transmission. Y'all get that? So if she's symptomatic, please treat her. But in that case, you're treating her to prevent the, the, the discomfort. You're actually treating the symptom. You're not really treating her for the prevention of, of preterm birth because the data has just not been there. Okay, There's been no solid evidence that treatment of asymptomatic bacterial vaginosis, well, symptomatic at that point too, I mean, it doesn't matter, that it reduces preterm birth rate. It does reduce symptoms. That's why you treat symptomatology. But to be very clear, so far, and then we're going to review these two data points, these new two studies from May and July in just a minute. But up to this point, it seemed that treatment, screening and treatment for BV did not reduce preterm birth. All right, podcast family, when we come back, we're going to talk about the May 2020 systematic review that took a look at a compilation of these studies to see if screening and treatment for BV works. And then we're going to talk about the one that just came out just two days ago that also shed light on this data. Oh, by the way, and if you're wondering, did I bring like my little podcast, like little mic on the trip? I absolutely did. It's got its own travel case. Thank you very much. And it's easy. This thing is great. Plugs in right into the laptop. Boom, boom. And then I send it off to the team. I love it. There is a seven hour time difference between here and the US. So I'm probably going to hit them like in the middle of the night with this. But they promised that they would do it and put it together and put it out if I got the vibe to do a podcast away from home. So team, I know you're listening. Thank you very much for what you do. All right, podcast family, this systematic review and meta-analysis from the Pediatric Journal. Remember that one from Pediatric Perinatology and Epidemiology? That came out in March 2023, okay? I said May before. Uh, I'm going to blame it on a Mediterranean brain. I'm on vacation. Anyway, it's in March, not May. And then the second publication that we're going to cover just after that, that was in July, just two days ago on July the 17th. And we'll give you that reference here in just a minute. But again, the title of this one is Antibiotic Treatment of Bacterial Vaginosis to Prevent Preterm Delivery, Systematic Review, and Individual Participant Data Meta-Analysis. 
All right, podcast family. So these authors took studies that randomized asymptomatic pregnant women with BV to antibiotics or no antibiotics, right? They functioned as a control. So I like this because that's exactly what we're talking about here. Remember, if they were symptomatic, then that's different. You're treating them for symptoms. But this was specifically looking at those studies that treated asymptomatic women. They also had a subgroup analysis that tested the interactions between different types of treatments, okay? So based on which medication was used for, for BV to see if any one was better than the other. Okay, so here's the bummer, and let's just get right to it because I'm on vacation. Time to delivery did not differ between the treatment group or the control. In other words, there was no difference in gestational age. Now, Clinda would seem to have a little tiny benefit over metronidazole in some studies, but after taking a look at controlling factors and after analyzing the data holistically, guess what? Quote, treatment of BV during pregnancy did not reduce preterm delivery nor prolong pregnancy in any subgroup or when started earlier in gestation, end quote. So the take-home is, while Clinda looked pretty good artificially, once you actually do what's called that the, the individual participant data, when you actually looked at that separately and put it through the analyzer, put it through the data washing machine, yeah, it didn't really seem to do anything, which is why the indication for BV treatment in pregnancy is to reduce symptoms, not to prevent preterm delivery. But remember, this was in March not May, March 2023. So now let's talk about the one that came out two days ago from July 17th. All right, podcast family, before we do the July 2023 quick review, I do want to, in all transparency, uh, just let you know how embarrassing we all are as humans, okay? So obviously I'm over here in Malta. It's a southern uh, European zone, right? Even though it's not part of the continent, it's still a little island, still European. And of course, we decide to come in the record heat wave of southern Europe. It, it is hot. I mean, like beyond Texas hot. It's really hot. It's like 42 degrees Celsius over here. It's really hot. Anyway, so I'm waiting in line to wear outside this little bistro thing and the girls are getting their shakes and there's an obvious uh, language barrier she, the, because the person behind the counter, she doesn't speak English. We don't speak Maltese. So, of course, we try our Spanish. That's a no-go. We try Italian. Of course, that's a no-go. So, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, finally, they ordered their shakes, which was painful. And that she finally comes to me, uh, and this poor lady is looking at me, and I'm like, I just want one donut. And I said it just like that. And apparently, my wife told me that I yelled at her. I wasn't yelling. I was doing the typical American thing that when somebody doesn't speak your language, you talk louder and slower. And then I embarrassed myself. So, all to say, yeah. Uh, no one's perfect. I made an ass of myself, uh, but I got my donut, which is all that mattered because I was hot and I was hungry and I had had it. I need to find the word donut in Maltese. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, now let's get on to the July 2023 publication from JAMA Network. The title of this publication is The Effectiveness and Costs of Molecular Screening and Treatment for Bacterial Vaginosis to Prevent Preterm Birth. This is the AUTOP randomized clinical trial. This was published in JAMA Pediatrics. The AUTOP trial, that's A-U-T-O-P, was a prospective multi-center parallel randomized trial conducted in 19 French perinatal centers between 2015 and 2017. Data was analyzed and collected up to November 2022. In this study, low-risk pregnant women before 20 weeks gestation without previous preterm births or late miscarriage were enrolled. Now, let's stop right there because I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. This is only in low-risk women. That is true. But even though this only functioned, this only studied low-risk women, the study has been done multiple times over in high-risk women, and the results really don't change much, all right? So yes, to be very clear, the autop trial was not in women with a history of preterm birth. This was in otherwise, quote, low-risk women, end quote. For this study, both Paris and Nulliparis women were eligible. And remember that we talked about molecular tests before? Well, here's why. Because this is exactly what was used in this RCT that came out July the 17th. This is why we kind of spent some time talking about the different ways to analyze BV or to diagnose it, whether it's the Affirm test or the Nugent test, the Affirm test, which is a DNA probe, or these newer molecular-based tests, because that's exactly what was used in this study. Here's an expert from the study, and it goes into exactly what we discussed in the previous intro. Quote, Based on the literature, international and French recommendations advise against screening with conventional diagnostic tools in low-risk populations, end quote. So let's stop there for a minute. You see, it says the traditional conventional diagnoses because things like wet prep are good if there's nothing else, but they have a lot of limitations. That's why they've moved on to these newer molecular-based tests. So the authors go on to explain, quote, Recently, molecular biology has been shown to be more accurate in identifying vaginal microbiota than other methods. For example, molecular biology showed that among women with a Nugent score greater than 4, which is intermediate vaginal flora, 57% had true bacterial vaginosis, suggesting that 43% of those women did not actually have BV. 
Conversely, molecular tools provide an objective, reproducible, and quantitative diagnosis of other biomarkers that can be used in the diagnosis. And they go on to say, it identifies emergent pathogen species with fastidious culture, such as Atopium vaginae. That's the A vaginae that we mentioned a little bit earlier on in our discussion. Now, before we go over the results, there's two main groups here that results accounted for. First is a general pool that got all of the attention, which let's just say right now was not very impressive. But then there was a post-talk, there was a sub-analysis just on nulliparous women, and that deserves special mention. We'll get to that in just a minute. All right, first in the overall camp, the overall kind of holistic result, in the ITT analysis, that's intent to treat, all right? That's where those that were left to uh, fall off the trial were considered failures, right? That's called an intent to treat analysis. In the ITT analysis, this was on over 6,600 women, the rate of preterm birth before 37 weeks was 3.8% in the screen and treat group, and it was 4.6% in the control. So the, the confidence interval there crossed one, okay? So the confidence interval at 95% CI went from 0.66 to 1.05. And that's why the p-value was non-significant. The p-value was 0.12. So overall, for the two groups, holistically, for both multiparous and oliparous women thrown in together, no big difference. But here's where it gets interesting, because if they, if you take a look at the subgroup analysis, they did a post-hoc subgroup study on just nulliparous women and then multiparous women. On the nulliparous women, there was possibly some benefit there. The, the, the rate of preterm birth in nulliparous women from those who had screen and treat versus those who did not was actually a little bit better. It was more effective than usual care. The rate of preterm birth had a protective value in those who had screen and treat with a relative risk of 0.62. And the confidence interval was from 0.45 to 0.84. So in other words, it was both under one. So that's that's helpful. That's a potential benefit. The p-value for that interaction was 0.003. So all to say, if you take a look at multiparous and nulliparous women together, nothing happened. But if you do a subgroup analysis and, and, and peel them apart, nulliparous women maybe, according to this RCT, had a benefit for screen and treat. But there was no significant difference among the multiparous participants, all right? Now, it's not saying that absolutely nulliparous women should have screen and treat. The authors go on to say this needs further study because all the other studies really hasn't shown anything. But this is definitely something to consider and but it's definitely worth note-taking, all right? So then, you know, the more that we look, then the more confusing that we get, right? I mean, okay, we get more data, and yes, it helps. No, it doesn't help. Now, according to this very large, very well-done RCT at different centers, like, hey, you know, as a group, MOTIPs and primips thrown together, probably nothing. But ah, nulliparous women, maybe there's something there. Uh, but that's just, again, just based on this AUTOP trial, okay? A-U-T-O-P, the AUTOP trial. We're definitely not at a universal recommendation that screening for BV and nullips uh, is the way to prevent preterm birth. I'll be very clear. But as other studies have also suggested, maybe there's something there. And if you can prevent the first preterm birth, 
then remember, what's the biggest predictor for preterm birth? History of previous preterm birth. So if you can hit him off as, as a nullip, maybe that, that that's where the value is. So it is super interesting. But what gets the headlines is, oh, screening and treating for BV did not prevent preterm birth. That's right. But that's why you got to read the paper, all right? You've got to read and dissect because it's very clear and the authors tell you in there, it's not secret information. Like, hey, by the way, if you peel out the two groups, multiparis and nullips, nullips maybe could be helpful. In MedPage today, this was actually reviewed on July the 17th, 2023. And there's an, a commentator in there who gave a quote that's pretty fitting and kind of covers this very well. It states, quote, this study uses updated diagnostic criteria, remember that's a molecular test that we talked about, to identify and treat BV, showing a possible reduction in preterm delivery in the subgroup of nulliparous participants. Now, this is super noteworthy. However, quote, it requires further study as it was not the primary question addressed, end quote. So that's just a quote from MedPage today that covered this publication, and that was released on July the 17, 2023. And again, when I get back to the U.S., or maybe I'll have one of, the, one of our teammates uh, do the, uh, the reference list, but I'll put that reference in there as well. Yes, the nulliparis issue is super interesting, but what was taken there by that quote is that that, that wasn't their primary answer, is that 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 post hoc analysis means that once they did the study, then they started going back and kind of playing with the data, okay? So that's post hoc. That's a post hoc analysis. And that limits a lot of the conclusions that can be drawn because it wasn't an original part of the scientific design, all right? So even though that's super important and it's helpful, hey, wow, okay, in nulliparous women, maybe it's helpful. It was a post hoc analysis, and that's why we have to be very careful what we read because it, it, it is important, it's, it's interesting, but it needs further study. Now, speaking of MedPage today, I love their page. That's a quick way to get a lot of just high-value facts from certain publications across disciplines. But, but sometimes the headlines that they use is all that people read because uh, they don't have time to kind of dive into it and they have less time to actually read the article. And, and, and I think it's kind of a disservice because – uh, and this has been done on many surveys. I mean, they've asked medical students, residents, and attending physicians, people in practice, tell me how you read an article. And a lot of people go, I read the, the, the title and then maybe the abstract. And you're like, oh my God. I mean, you've got to read the whole thing, okay? Because the title from that MedPage article that we just kind of summarized or at least pulled out those expert from excerpts from, uh, the title is Screen and Treat for Bacterial Vaginosis Fails to Reduce Preterm Births. And that's right. I mean, that's not incorrect. That's what the, the whole the, the entire cohort found. That's right. But you see how you have to go deeper in that? You actually have to read into the quotes of this article and look at the article itself because on subgroup analysis for multi-parous women, maybe there's a protection there, okay? So a better title for MedPage today would have been Screen and Treat for Bacterial Vaginosis Fails to Reduce Preterm Births, but Maybe Helpful in Nullips. Do you see that? Anyway, that's just my little beef for that. And I've got great friends who write with uh, on MedPage today, uh, and, and they do a great – I want to be very clear. They're very, very good. But people read the headline, and if they just read oh, screening for BV is no-go, and that's okay. That's Overall, that's right. But maybe in that subgroup of nulliparous women, maybe there's something to, to, to do there. So is it wrong to screen and treat 
uh, for BV and Enola Paris women under 20 weeks? No, it's not wrong at all. And especially if she's symptomatic. Remember, we talked about that. Treat her if she's symptomatic. Get rid of the symptom. But screen and treat based on this one study is okay, but definitely is not burden of proof, burden of evidence. All right, podcast family, I'm running out of time here because uh, I got to meet my family back or else they're, they're going to put me on an earlier flight home. Uh, but I thought this was a super interesting. So what have we learned here? Okay, let's just quickly recap. Well, one, wet prep, if that's how you're diagnosing BV, absolutely fine. Knock yourself out. Super old school. And there's better ways. Okay, I'm not against the wet prep, but man, you're relying on a lot on somebody's eyeballs. Uh, and so just be careful with that one because web prep, you're looking for the 20% clue cells. Well, how do you know it's 20%? Do you actually count all the cells? Who is that a question about that? Is it 19%? Is it 25%? How do you know it's 20%? Give me a break. But anyway, that's AMSO's criteria and it was great, fulfilled a big role when there was nothing else. And if you're doing the VP3, the Affirm card, great. At least you're using a DNA probe, uh, a, a molecular test of some sort. And then now, of course, now we've got this molecular microbiome-based test that can actually look for lactobacilli, can actually look for different biomarkers of bacterial vaginosis, uh, and can also pull out different kinds of yeast, right? Not just candida albicans like with the Affirm test. And again, I don't want to sound commercially for BDMAX, not a sponsor, but it's good. I mean, the more that we can figure out about super common conditions like these uh, dysbioses, vaginal dysbioses and vaginosis conditions, then the better, not just for vaginitis but for vaginosis conditions as well. Well, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered two recent publications, one from March 2023, not May. I'm not sure why I said May. I'm telling you, it's the heat up here in Malta. It's hot. And my brain saw May, but it's actually March. So March 2023, that systematic review uh, and meta-analysis is talking about the, the trials for BV uh, and its reduction on preterm birth. That was very disappointing because that was a no-go. And then we covered this brand new publication from JAMA Pediatrics that was released on July the 17th. That was an RCT looking at the molecular test, the newer test, because surely if we can get the diagnosis right, then maybe treatment's going to work, right? Well, maybe. Maybe in Paris patients, maybe as a post-hoc analysis showed, but overall as a whole pool, as a whole epidemiology of, of preterm birth, probably won't do very much. So we're back to the CDC guidance, which states, Treatment of BV for solely for the role of risk reduction for preterm birth is just not evidence-based as of this point in time. Well, I'm telling you, I've got a little portable podcast mic and it travels. I made it all the way to the Mediterranean and I just couldn't resist. That's why I still keep alerts on my phone, even though they only pop up when I Wi-Fi. I mean, so I walk into some building that it knows the, the Wi-Fi because I've already logged on to it like a little cafe uh, like I did earlier today and bing, 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 my phone starts going off. Oh my goodness. Which raises this other question, right? People are like, why do you check your emails when you're on vacation? Honestly, guys, if I don't check my email, it is more stressful to me because I, I get anywhere from 120 to 150 emails a day, all right? Uh, through a variety of different sources. So if I, I, if I don't check them, just knowing that they're accumulating, it's going to be super stressful for me to get home and see 800 emails. I just can't do it. I mean, it would wig me out. So to me, it's, it's more of a stress reliever to actually go and, and answer things, knock things out. 
uh, even though I'm on vacation. So it's a very low stress act for me to go through a couple emails. I just got to do it on the down low so my family doesn't see that I'm on the phone all the time. All right, podcast family, I hope you found this helpful. Even away on vacation on Malta, we're still thinking about our Clinical Pearls family. So we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls when I'm back in the USA. Thank you.